Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Jonathan, I want to I want to center what we're doing today. And which is Genesis 15 uh 1 to 6. Just I think this is the shortest section we're going to take and I want to center it for people. And if you're if you're joining us newly today, it's the notable podcast and we're just wanting to to know what's in our hearts about this. And I just want to, I want to, I want to center it in, in in the canon of Genesis. First of all, if you go back to our podcast, number one, we said that there's 11 Toledotes and this Abraham's account is the sixth one. So it's the very heart of the Toledotes, Genesis. And now we've come to the rhetorical center um, of the center of Genesis in Genesis chapter in Genesis chapter 15. This is the heart of it all. This is the center of it all. And, and we're going to, without even saying anything about it, we, we already know that, that this chapter is going to be a, a huge, spectacular, monstrous, um, mind-blowing, I don't know, give me some more um, adjectives, Jonathan, um, chapter. Like, we're, we're led to expect that just because it's in the center of everything. I mean, come on, Jonathan. Like, this, I want to praise this. I want to I hold this up and raise our expectations. Yeah, there's different ways of looking at it. Like, theologically, if we look at it like that, you just looked at it inside the 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 canon of scripture. You, you were doing some biblical theology, but if if we do systematic theology, we would say that this is if theology is a wheel that all holds together in Christ, that the very center, like the where all the spokes come together, if you can imagine it like a bicycle wheel, this is the very center of it. This is the very center of it, like. Uh, theologically, um, biblically, uh, systematically. Um, and also, if I could put it like this, it, at, at the end of the day, um, it is both the very heart of God. I'm talking about this spiritually, not just systematically or something like that. Um, but this is the very heart of God. And it's also the very heart of the Christian. Like when, when I was talking about this, with, with my church, um, this is, I said, this is the heart of Genesis. Uh, this is the heart of the book of Romans, uh, which is the heart of the gospel, which is the heart of God. And it is what we believe by faith. I, this is uh, like, we can't come up with enough <laughs> oh, language man. to get at this. Yeah. And, and it, it's almost like Moses knew that by the way he tells the story. And it's not that I want to marginalize the 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 verses leading up to verse six, which is where we're going to spend the most time today, I'd say. But it, I just want to show how those verses really center for us, verse six, and really lead us to expect something monumental. Um, because this is a I'm just going to name a number first, okay? So this is the first time in Genesis, and in the Bible, then, that we get a prophetic word. So it says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram. So whatever comes next, you know, this is, that that is a right there, a prophetic formula. That's, that's, 
we're going to get Isaiah and Jeremiah and and Amos and in all of these guys. This is this is how God comes, and and so this is an utterance, an oracle, that we are invited to then cling to, in faith. And this is this is huge. <laughs> And then, if I could just keep building, we're told that God comes to Abram in a vision, not a dream. There's a difference, but a vision. And so God came to him in such a way that that Abram is going to be able to go out underneath the night sky and and peer at the stars with with the prophetic kind of certainty that dreams certainly can't necessarily give so this is a big deal and then god then goes on to make this promise to offer to abram all of himself like it's just an unparalleled um promise abram i'm going to be your great reward just me (laughs) and then for the first another first we get abram responds to god and he says, Sovereign Lord, which is a big title, by the way, what can you give me since I remain childless? And that's the first time in scripture that Abram comes back at God and mm-hmm. he offers to him what we would call a complaint or a lamentation. This is a lament. Um, and then it, it goes dead silent for a second. Verse three, and Abram said, so God says nothing to it. Abram's forced to continue. It's like a staring contest. (laughs) You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then God. Yeah, like God gives him this didactic lesson that's meant to speak to his imagination, which is so powerful for the human being. He says, then the word of the Lord came to him again, another prophetic utterance. I'm, I'm trying to, Jonathan, I'm trying to lift this account up as we get to verse six. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So now we know that the promise is more specific than ever before. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars as if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then we get to the, like everything's leading us to the top of this textual mountain. And this is, we want to unpack this verse today. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Woo. That's where we want to get today. And Correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but we want to look at this in terms of movement and especially economic movement, because <laughs> this is an economic word. This is a this is a money word. This is a, a an accounting um, God. And and so what we want to see is how in God's economy. What first must happen is the movement is from heaven to earth. And then we're going to watch it as it moves from earth to heaven. Two directions. That's it. We're going to keep it that simple. But I think we've got a lot to say about that. So this is a podcast about God's economy, about God's accounting, and how it moves first from heaven to earth and then later from earth to heaven. I got that right? Yeah, so you laid it down. Verse 6 is is the big verse. This is the verse that gets quoted again um in the scriptures very big deal and so we're laying down the bedrock this is going to be there's many things we could say in this podcast there's a there's something that we're just not going to cover and i'm okay with it but the the biggest thing we're going to cover here is uh the right what we call the righteousness of faith the righteousness of faith here in verse six and uh we're going to start yeah, yeah. And I guess first I want to lay down um that movement from heaven to earth. And we're gonna 
the way I picture is we're going to move from that very center of verse six kind of out outwardly and explode it out from there. So the first phrase that I want to just look at is it says he credited it to him. He credited it to him. Which means that God credited it to him being Abraham or, or Abram here. And if you look at the movement, then the movement of a credit moves from God to Abram. It's that simple. It moves from heaven to earth. It it moves from way up high to way down low, or I don't even know how to, else to say it. Like it, this is the movement from 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 heaven to earth. I my wife, um, maybe people don't know this about me, but she is uh, a senior financial analyst for a tech company. And I asked her, can you explain to me debits and credits? And I got a really interesting answer from her. It was actually a really helpful answer to kind of help clarify this verse. She said, in any transaction, and that, that's really what we're talking about, the spiritual transaction, there is a debit and there's a credit. A credit comes into your account from somewhere else. And it makes you a little bit richer. A debit goes out. So a debit card is never a good thing, actually, because the only thing that happens with a debit card is it goes out. It goes out. So what's happening here is a spiritual transaction of sorts where the credit moves from God's account to ours. It moves from heaven to earth. And at the same time, something moves out. We'll talk about this later. Something is debited from God's account. It's it's that simple. If we can get that uh, accounting truth, then we're going to be able to understand one of the deep, most fundamental, most basic um, scriptural truths of all, the righteousness of faith. I know you want to talk about that more, Jonathan. <laughs> Well, there's there's a whole lot here, and I, uh, I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But the one thing that that I think is good for us to think about biblically is um, here in verse six we get we get the, the the positive side of the transaction. This is spiritual spiritual accounting. We get the positive side of the transaction. Here we see how the Lord credits to Abram righteousness and it's through faith it, it, abram believed the lord and so when we put our faith in the lord uh the lord does credit us with righteousness so we're on the positive side of the transaction but like you said there's a cost and there's a debit and i i just i want to point out here what i think is significant that the holy spirit's building out where the cost is going to come from and it actually is hinted at right right here in the text uh the lord what's on the, what's the issue on the table what's abram believing in the lord for well a child and not just any child the promised child um you're going to have the child abram it, this goes all the way back to to the original promise that was given to abram that he's going to be a blessing to all nations well how in the world is he going to be a blessing to all nations he's going to have a child and that child's going to have a child and that child's going to have a child and then the child is going to come and so hinted at right here is abram's ultimate heir and of course then you're thinking about the gospels right like you you think about the the genealogies um what is what is what do we what do we make sure what do the gospel writers make sure to tell us that that jesus christ our lord is the heir of abram he is he's the guy you know um and so here we get the positive side of the transaction but the rest of the holy scriptures are building up to the cost to the one who's going to bear the burden to the one who's going to carry the load um that's super we're just doing biblical theology right now this is a super big deal um here embedded right here in the story is both the positive and the negative side of the spiritual transaction that has to happen now i 
I want to I, I want to pull on this thread this this idea of of spiritual accounting and say you know we've been talking about he we're grounding it in the scriptures we're grounding in the scriptures I just want to show that this is actually the very heart not just of the scriptures but at the very heart of the human being just to do some some biblical um anthropology here or think about the human being this is god gives he gives this statement to us that this is how this works um and there's a reason why he does it like uh timothy you shared with me an article about people who struggle um in their own lives with um in midlife with the idea of spiritual accounting so there, there was a piece that came out that was studying people um, in midlife, and it said that people disproportionately take their own lives. Reading part of the content here, they have trouble sleeping. They're clinically depressed. They spend time thinking about suicide. They feel like life is not worth living. They find it hard to concentrate, forget things, feel overwhelmed in the world. This is an overwhelming list here. I, I can oh, keep man, reading yeah. here. But what's what's happening? People are people are taking account, a spiritual account of their own lives um, and they're feeling like life um, is not not worth living even social scientists are starting to catch up on this the soft scientists right uh, soft science is 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 noticing this and people like Ernest uh, Becker wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book that talked about how um, everybody in their own life is actually what they're trying to do uh, is try to have their existence validated they're they're trying to self-justify is what they're doing. They're trying to to um, feel like they matter. Um, the, the public schools do this. My my daughter went to public schools in South Carolina. They did a whole lot more than just teach her spiritual or um, arithmetic and, and math and accounting um, at, at at her level. They actually taught spiritual accounting every single day. They went in. She went into school. She was told she's a hero. She's her own hero. She she can do it, um, and you're important. You matter. You're special, and which is all of that is spiritual accounting. So the school felt it was important to teach my daughter um, spiritual encounter accounting. I I see. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking in just a second uh, with one last illustration. I see this in counseling. You know, people people uh, people want to know their identity. Who am I? Why do they want to know their identity? Well, I'll tell you, because they, they don't want to just be another normal person in the world loving other people. They want to know how they're differentiated. They want to know what makes them special, what makes them matter. They're actually doing spiritual accounting. The whole this is what human beings do all the time. It's our it's the I, natural state of our heart. I want to give you I, I'm I'm agreeing with Jonathan. I want to give a couple other examples. There's there's I'm a huge Mets fan. I try to make it out to City Field. It's just a, a, a few stops on the seven train that way. And um, there's a statement that is engraved, like at the entrance of City Field from one of its past players that says, A life matters only in the terms that it impacts another. So, in other words, it's saying, Your life matters if you make an impact on another human life, a positive one. Which also means that if you don't make an impact like a young life or a really old life or a sick life or a lazy life, that you don't matter, that your life doesn't have value. And I think people really feel that. Like Jonathan, they feel it every, um age demographic like jonathan you told me this story that i think maybe you asked kids at your school to to say how many of you want to be someone one day all of them raised their hand Every, everybody raised their hand because they didn't realize they didn't think they were somebody yet already yeah exactly so they're they, they think they have to do something that's a key term and it is in the bible too they think they have to do something to matter and it, in with the midlife crisis that that you were talking about, the the one spiritual malady that was in the in all of the description of 
midlife crisis was they they felt like their life didn't matter. So so a midlife a person in midlife is looking at themselves and saying, I thought I was going to be somebody. I thought I was going to do something greater than than whatever it is that they're doing. So they have a crisis about it. Holy cow, maybe I don't matter. And even even talking with older people, I don't know how many conversations I've had with them where they say, Pastor, I just want to know my purpose. I, I want to know why I'm here. And so, so everybody's yearning. The, the, the key phrase that keeps coming up these days is everyone's searching for a meaning, which is they're trying to validate and, and put a value on, on their lives. These are all economic um, accounting ways of uh, looking at things. And so I guess what we're saying, Jonathan, is accounting and credit and value does not move from the bottom up. It moves from the top down. It moves, in other words, only God determines your value. And he has decided to determine your value through faith by debiting, to put this in uh, accounting terms, by debiting the perfect life and innocent death of Abram's great seed. And we found that and by right believing here. that, by believing that, something incredible is going to happen we're going to we're going to unpack that in a second that's huge that that's so important to get that in other words anyone who's listening right now you don't have to do anything and and, and the apostle paul by the way um says that over and over and over again in romans three and four you don't have to do anything to make your life matter or as jackie in other words jackie robinson was lying your life already has matters, has value, because God has placed a value on it. And by believing that, it's yours. That's This is theologically, canonically, biblically, spiritually, such a big deal. Um, how do you, how do you, like, how do, how do you imagine, like, yourself as a human being? What is it, what is at the bottom of your heart? What we're trying to say is at the bottom of your heart, we are, as sinners, self-justifying creatures, and that never ends until, by faith, we receive God's justification of us. That's when we become totally new people, and we can actually, we're set free from that bondage through faith in Jesus, and we live our lives, actually. Yeah, we, Jonathan, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about like how this impacts our daily life. And I don't want to, I think that's really important. It's an important emphasis because so many people will say, well, we're Luther's theology or mo really Moses theology. The word of God has no relevancy for my life. And we just told you that it does, that you are justified by faith in Christ now, but it also this is this is where people are so unconcerned about. It also, and most importantly, impacts our eternity. I mean, that's that's the whole thing here. Like, no, no longer do you have to to lose sleep. Oh, and wonder. I wonder if I'm good enough for God. I wonder if I've risen up to His level of what he requires of me in his accounting of me. What he's saying is, no, the credit runs down from God in Christ. And so we can sleep at night. <laughs> like we, yeah. we can, we can put that, we can put that um, worry aside <laughs> with all the other ones. Like that is, um, I, I guess I could go off on this point. Like, why don't people care about that, Jonathan? <laughs> Why don't people want to be right with God? I, that is a mystery to me, that how mm. people can go through life and say, I, I don't care. I, it, it's almost as if the, the eternal acts 
of God's judgment, which all of us rightly deserve, by the way, um, hanging over our heads has no relevancy whatsoever. <laughs> I know it does for the sensitive solo. Well, I know. It so does. don't don't go there yet. I want to. I want to pound yet. on this. I want to pound on this just a little bit. I want to pound on this just a little bit. So I want to get there, though, Jonathan. We have to get there to the sensitive soul. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. We're not there yet, though. <laughs> we have to go to the souls who aren't sensitive. And uh, Jesus, first of all, I want to I want to put underline your point. This is the biggest deal in the world. This. This is this is the the the, the cosmos shaking reality. Uh, this is what all of Jesus' cross meant, and the proof of that is that's what Jesus said it meant. With his dying breath, he said, "It's finished," and it's too little known that when he said it's finished, that he actually was sharing with the world an accounting term. <laughs> he was saying. What Abram was promised, I'm fulfilling. He was the, the term, it's finished, it's translated, it's finished, but it means paid in full. It it was the thing that, that you would write on a mortgage if you paid off the mortgage. So that now our future isn't mortgaged with God anymore. It has been paid in full uh, because Jesus' blood uh, was the payment and, and his life was the cost. And so this is this is it. This is the gospel. It's the Christian gospel that, that Jesus shared with us from, from the cross. Um, and Jesus thinks it's the biggest deal in the world. And, and the question for us becomes, do we? <laughs> do we? And this is where I want to uh, talk about this for a second, because I've had multiple, 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 multiple times in my ministry where it's become clear to me that um, Christians struggle with this a lot. And I want to tell a couple stories. Here's the first one. So, and I'm going to change the details, but um, the gist of it will still be true. So, I'm I'm sitting with this with this person, and she's confessing me um, this sin, you know, whatever you know, it was her sin. It was a big sin, and she's feeling this incredible guilt. And I'm thinking to myself. This is the moment that I'm going to share Jesus. I'm just going to, I'm knocking this one out of the park. I'm going to change her heart. She's going to walk out of here on cloud nine. She's, and I'm just ready. Like she's saying, I did this thing and I did this thing and I'm ready to say, well, Jesus did this thing and this is going to be awesome. And that's what I did. I said, Jesus did this thing. And, and you, you almost had to be there, but because it was so sad, but I, I I shared the gospel with this person, and this person says back to me with no change in their countenance. It was just dead flat. Uh, I already know. I already know, Pastor. I knew that. My trouble is I can't forgive myself. So, in other words, like this person cared far more about their own judgment on their own life than God's judgment on their life. It's an issue of idolatry. So that's my first story. The second story, again, change the details, but there's this person, they don't feel esteemed, they don't feel valued um, with their peers. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I get to share like Jesus values you this much. Like this is how much you, he accounts you to be worth. And I, and I share that with this person, and this person comes back and say, well, um, I knew that already. <laughs> and it was the same thing. But the problem is, Pastor, my friends don't. And so the issue here is that uh, not that people don't know that Jesus does spiritual accounting. It's that they don't, it's that they know how Jesus values them. The problem is that they don't value Jesus. <laughs> they don't see him as God. And that's the problem. So whenever whenever they actually don't see him as God. And so whenever we don't we don't value this, the problem the problem is an issue um it's an issue of idolatry. 
And so this is where I, I think it's worth um, talking about this just just a little bit. The the theologians, the philosophers, um, pastors all agree these days that we live in a world that doesn't think very much of God. And so this is what you have happened. God forgives you. Well, I knew that already. And that doesn't impact my life. <laughs> oh, really? And so everybody agrees on this, that people don't think much of God. And so the I'm, I want to use a little bit of, of rhetoric to try to get at this. <laughs> Because um, there's two issues. We can either think too much of our own estimations of ourselves, or we can think too much of the estimations of others um, and, and not enough of God's. So these are some clarifying questions. Um, first of all, did you give yourself life? Do you control your own future? <laughs> Do you write your own story? Do you bow down to yourself? And isn't it true that all of us have had the dumbest, most rebellious, most unclear thoughts about our own selves multiple times? Then why do, then why do we care so much what we think of ourselves? Why do we care? And on the other side of it, why do we care what people think? <laughs> I, you know, the, the public speaking strategy that I think that I thought of, like imagine people in their underwear. It, which I never do, by the way. I think that's a horrible advice. But the it's point gross. is, yeah. <laughs> but the point is, the the point is, like, you, when you look at people as they actually are, when they're metaphorically naked before you, like, why do you care? They're just people and really flawed ones at that. Like, why do you care? Why do we care? Why? They're they're people. Uh, people uh, people think the world is flat, and you, you you think that their estimation of you matters. Like people think ketchup should go on everything. People think that uh, cats should be uh, kept as pets. Um, people think the Packers are worth cheering for. I mean, come on, world. Like, why do you <laughs> care so much? Right? Um, here, this is what we're saying. The God of heaven and earth, the, the Lord who controls your destiny, when he approves of you, in the end, it is the only thing that matters. I want to I want to give an illustration that I think I've used several times. It's been really helpful for people, Jonathan, that makes the same point. And I'm going to use it using social media. Let's say that um, you're on Instagram, okay? And you post a picture of yourself, a selfie. And um, all these people take issue with it for different reasons. It's just all these different comments. And all of a sudden, your favorite celebrity writes in. I'm going to try to think of who's, Jonathan, who's a non-controversial celebrity? There's so, so few of them these days. No such thing. But um, <laughs> let's say, um, uh, yeah, I know there's uh, like a tennis star or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's say Pete Sampras, and you're a big tennis player. And Pete Sampras writes in and say, says, you're an absolute star. And you're all of a sudden, all of the other comments don't matter. Because Pete Sampras says, you're an absolute star. And you're on cloud nine. You're on cloud nine. Now imagine, imagine for a second and close your eyes for this if you have to, that the God of heaven and earth, the one who gave his only begotten son for you says, I love you this much. And I think we'll talk about this later, right, Jonathan? And my thought about you, this is the credit I'm giving to you right now. And I want you to believe it. That's what God says. You're an absolute star because of what my son has done. Let that <laughs> like let that voice boom down from heaven or like one of my mentors likes to say to me, we play to an audience of one. You know, we play to an audience of one. Let God's voice be the voice that is determinative. Right? Yes. So credit credit isn't something that we have to work ourselves into. It's not something that we do 
scriptures make that point so many times it is something that is that comes from heaven down to earth credited to us do we need to pound that point more or are we moving into the second point then because this is a good segue i think where now we need to look at the the movement from earth down to heaven and and this is I want to highlight this by, by just looking at the verse one more time. It says, Abraham or Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And now I want to just notice how big uh, the credit is in there. It's a huge credit. So it does, this isn't, the scriptures don't say, um, you just pull a card out of the monopoly pile that says, um, uh, Bank air in your favor, collect $200. It doesn't say that. Or it doesn't say it was credited to him as a down payment, like 20%. You're 20% of the way there. What it says is, and, and by the way, this, this word righteousness has not come up in this connection it, it, since the beginning of Genesis. Since, since the beginning of Genesis, and now it says he credited it to him as righteousness. So full righteousness. This is, and to put it in the context of Genesis, that means that what was lost by Adam and Eve back in the garden is now gifted to you by faith in Abram's seed. That's what it's saying. That is a ginormous, incredible, um, mind-blowing credit. It's the whole thing. <laughs> in other words, like what, what God is debiting from his account to yours is the perfect, innocent life of Jesus and the innocent suffering and death of his only son. So if, if I could take you to the foot of the cross on a Good Friday, God is debiting over ours. He's debiting to you forgiveness and righteousness, which is the same thing. And if I could take you to the empty tomb on, on Easter Sunday again, God's shout over it is justified by faith in Christ. It's all yours, all of it, because of what Jesus has done. It's credited. And this, and this is how it works. I, I want to underline what you said, because it was a beautiful explanation, and then I want to build on it. And I want to underline it by saying, look at where we're, at where we're at in Abram's life. Did he do anything? No. <laughs> no. He, he, he's coming off uh, a victory uh, in war, but he's, he's about to participate in abuse. That's where we're at. And right here in this text, he doesn't do anything. He believes everything. He does nothing. And arguably, his faith, <laughs> it's interesting to talk about this, like his faith prompts his doubt, which is really interesting to think about. You know, his faith prompts his doubt. Uh, and again, we could talk about that. But he does experience doubt here and fear. Uh, and so it, it's it's not even like his faith that that God is crediting is is like this perfect, never wavering faith. We know that that's not true. <laughs> uh, it's it's what his faith is is receiving, and and so it really is by faith <laughs> and by grace that Abram is saved, and that we're saved, and that anybody who's going to be saved is saved. Well, it's, it's interesting to take this verse and like, um, don't do this, by the way, but just mentally and imaginatively move it around in Genesis. <laughs> in like, what if what if it would have ended up verse six, Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord and credited to, to him as righteousness right after God said, um, leave everything, leave your family behind and and go and do this. Uh, what if he would have put it there? It would that would have been confusing. <laughs> it, 
people would have been able to say it's by his obedience. Or what if you move it to Genesis 22, where Abraham's willing to sacrifice his own son, and then and then it's put there, and people people would it'd be confusing, right? But here, the only thing that that Abram is doing is lamenting and complaining. This is this is his first complaint to God, and then and then God takes him out under the the, the stars, and he, he he inspires his imagination. And then Abram's like, you know what? I, I believe that, and it's credited to him as righteousness. It's a, it's a, it's just a huge deal. So, so now, now to build on it, uh, let's let's just do a little recollection in the life of of Abram. This is not the first time that he gets the promise of a lot of offspring. It's not the first. Uh, we do get it back in Genesis chapter uh, thirteen as well. There, um, you have the Lord really emphasizing quantity, <laughs> and we get that here as well. Uh, and he and he tells basically tells Abram to look down, um, and and he compares Abraham's uh, Abram's descendants to the dust. And now it, the Lord, one thing that you can track in Genesis is what the Lord does in Abram's life is he's constantly clarifying. Um, and expanding the promises that are given to to Abram. So you, you you kind of get like this this kernel in Genesis chapter twelve. These are the promises, but then the the promises continue to get expanded and clarified as as we go along. Abram isn't quite sure here, obviously, um, who is going to um, be the descendants and uh, where they're coming from, and God clarifies that here, but also. He clarifies, this is where you have to read the text sensitively, and here we are, the notable podcast. So we're trying to read the text sensitively and also in a sophisticated way. Like here, the Lord says, look up at the sky and count the stars. And so now we're in verse five. Um, and, then, and, and then he says, here, why don't you look up? I want you to count the stars. And he says, if indeed you can count them, and then you'll notice um, what you have is a textual gap. <laughs> you, the Lord stops speaking. So for some amount of time, the Lord allows him to actually look up into the night sky and experience the immensity, the, the beauty, and the splendorous nature of the stars and of the cosmos as he looks up. And then he says, so there's this gap. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, clearly, the main point here is quantity. But I also want to point out that it is not solely the point. There is also quality. The Lord takes Abram's eyes and he expands and updates the promise so that we're no longer looking down as we begin to imagine what the people of faith are like in God's sight. Now, if we are going to get an accurate conception and an accurate imagination of the way, uh, of the way that God sees Abram's children, and that would be us by faith, you have to look up. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge statement. I, I want to go back to the dust in, in Genesis 13. He says, your your children are going to be like the dust. He's going to say later, by the way, like sand. I'd rather be like sand. But I have to, if, if, I, if I had to pick between dust, sand, and stars, I'd, I'd pick the stars. And you're not the only one to notice the comparisons and how they grow. Um, one scholar, Robert Alter, he's always really interesting. He He actually said that the comparison in Genesis 13 to dust could, quote, have negative connotations. And people have read that with negative connotations. Like yes, one guy, have. one guy wrote a whole poem and he said, look, this is about the Holocaust, Jonathan. He said, look, Abram's descendants have become like the dust. And, yeah. and so... Um, that that brings us to a pretty low low right there, um, and we're gonna have to we're, we're gonna have to talk about 
when we get to Genesis 22, what that God can often appear monstrous. We'll, we'll see that. But um, here, the comparison and what we're invited to do then, as we take in the majesty of these twinkling stars, is to is to see that there's beauty there and splendor. And I just want to add some more um, biblical theology. Look, like, look at Daniel. Stars, right? He talks about, and then the Apostle Paul, if you go to the, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he notices the difference in the splendor from star of the starry host, which then is a teaching about righteousness and how it's credited. And, and so I, I think there's good scriptural reasons to let um, the comparison not only be numerous, which would be the main point, but also that that the comparison would 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 be you know to to use a hermeneutical term pregnant with meaning that that we can also see that um he didn't compare it to dust in the, in this in this instant or to, to um as numerous as the prickles on the cactus over there something like that it was to stars and there's that's it's very encouraging i think encouraging yeah, and this is where I want to pause for a second and and do like you you, you gotta do this. <laughs> Here we are talking about you're right just by faith, but you gotta do this. You gotta at least in your own imagination go outside and look up and and just have these words in, in your mind and meditate on that. Because what I don't want to do is get get caught here in analysis paralysis on these verses, but like actually do what Abram did, go outside. I I remember, uh, maybe you remember this too, Timothy, but I remember going outside when the Christmas star was happening. Uh, you remember that? And everybody went outside and we're looking up and... Uh, I I love the stars, and so I've I actually have two two apps that I paid for, and uh, I can pop them open, and then you, you know you point your phone at the, uh, and then Eliana, my daughter, and I we love to go outside and and uh, we pick out the constellations and stuff like that. But when the Christmas star was here, I would go outside and I would I actually got out a lawn chair and I would uh, I would just tip it back. And I would look at the sky in my backyard. And I did that enough. I was so amazed by it um, that I began to look at the sky and turn the stars around in my mind as not just, uh, you know, you, you, we like to think about it scientifically. These are burning balls of gas. But I was able to actually see the stars for what they were, just the pure glory and and majesty, and and even I would I turn around in my imagination. I imagined like this this black sheet um, through which pinpricks of heaven are 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 coming through, and that's you know when we when we think of ourselves in the sight of God because of the blood of Jesus, this is God saying to us, "That's how I see you, like celestial." Uh, heavenly, splendorous, bright, a thing, so a person so beautiful that you are like a star that God can't take his eyes off of. You are that beautiful. This, I, Jonathan, I can't think of, how, this is so important for people to get that. Like so many people, they, they, they don't see themselves as God sees them. Like I, I hear Christians say, I'm just a piece of crud or I'm, I'm a bag of you, you feel you, you fill in the blank and they're so down on themselves and, and their own righteousness. And, and in a sense, that's a good thing. But what they don't understand is that they've been credited or maybe they don't see it. Like we got to see it that we've been credited with this perfect righteousness that, the only apt comparison is to look up at the stars and Abram looks up and he's like, those are my descendants. 
There, you know? There's a there's a uh, little known uh, dynamic in spirituality that people generally uh, spiritually think about themselves as the opposite of what they are. So that in God's sight, I mean, so that people who think of themselves as like really awesome people are actually the ugliest. They strut around as peacocks and they think they're the best thing since sliced bread, but they're actually really ugly people. <laughs> and on the other hand, and this is where, you know, we were hammering on people before, but this is where sensitive consciences need to tune in. Like the on the other hand, people who are very, very beautiful before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ think of themselves as the worst thing in the world. And so this is where you have people who will think, say things like, I know that Jesus has saved me, but all I want to be in heaven is a doormat. You know, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to be a doormat in heaven. Um, and what I think we're trying to say is, no, 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 no. We're not trying to give you a big head. We're trying to give you a big faith. We want you to see that Jesus didn't barely save you. He totally saved you so that you belong in heaven. You actually look to God like you belong there. There, you're you're not barely getting in. <laughs> oh, it's it's such a beautiful thought. I guess I wanted to wrap it up in the packaging that we've been trying to give this is that what what God does is the credit first of all moves from heaven to earth. But now, or what we're trying to say is that the credit is so big and so gigantic and so marvelous and so glorious as the righteousness of Christ that it moves you from earth to heaven. <laughs> it's like he, he plucks us out of the dust and he puts us as a star in the sky. That's what the, that's what this, the story does. And, and that is a beautiful thing to behold. to www.thenotable.com.